I thought about preaching about marriage and divorce and adultery, but I'm a kind of risk taker and I decided to preach on something that's bound to make you even more uncomfortable. Stewardship. <laughs> this is a stewardship sermon. And I offer that disclaimer at the beginning because it may not be real obvious. And I want to be sure that you apply this message to yourself as a steward of all the gifts God has entrusted to you and as a member of this community of stewards at St. John's Episcopal Church. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews was, we believe, writing to a group of Jewish Christians living somewhere in Italy, probably in Rome. Undoubtedly, their life together had stagnated. And so the writer reminds them of their ancestors in the wilderness, how they refused to be led to freedom and how they stagnated. Because of this, they were not allowed to enter the promised land. If this happened to them, how much worse it will be for the Christian community that neglects an even greater salvation brought about through the priestly work of the church. This passage is a call to go on to Christian maturity. A pool of water becomes stagnant when there's nothing flowing through it to refresh it and reinvigorate it. So it can't sustain life when it becomes stagnant. And our lives become stagnant when we despair and when we try to stop the flow and assert our human will apart from the divine will. And this is so because we cannot save ourselves in the face of the ultimate fears and mysteries of life. We're helpless. And we can't face them and we can't even deal with them apart from the divine will. When someone is having a crisis with one of their kids, I promise you, they don't call the soccer coach. They call the priest. When we come up against those kinds of ultimate realities, it doesn't take a biblical writer or a preacher to make us believe they're real. And when we find that our hungers are still not satisfied, that our plans are thwarted, that our days are limited, that our health is fragile, that our moments to ourselves don't satisfy us completely, that our relationships are broken and spoiled and we can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That day of stagnation, that day of uneasiness and emptiness will come upon us as if it hasn't, if it hasn't already and we'll have the opportunity to make some very important decisions about our lives. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews calls upon the eighth Psalm for a contrasting image of humanity, which is infinitely better than the state of stagnation and despair. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. And yet you've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. 
You've given them dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under their feet. What an amazing responsibility and privilege it is to be a human being. This is a song about the original glory intended by the creator to be experienced by the human creature. It is marvelous. If you close your eyes for just a moment and imagine yourself in terms of these words, a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, given dominion over all things, I suspect that you may feel a little stronger, a little cleaner, and free. Why is that? Well, it's quite simple. As the poet put it, God did not intend such magnificence for mice. This is our birthright as human beings. This is the way things are supposed to function under God's administrative policy. These images are familiar to something deep, deep within us. We know somehow that's really who we are. They energize us. They lift us up. They gladden our hearts. They paint a beautiful picture of what our lives are like when we align our wills with the divine will. Think of it. If concentrating on this image, God's image of us, for just a few minutes, can refresh us what might happen if we hold that image in our minds over an extended period of time. When we open our eyes, we have to confess that the contrast can be quite striking. With the writer, we confess that we do not see humanity ruling over things now in the way that God intends. But with the writer, we can affirm that we do see Jesus, God's son and heir, our brother, the new human being, crowned with glory and honor because of his life, death, and resurrection. God's plan is to bring us to that same glory. And this is the great hope which we, God's church, celebrate each time we gather. Because he did it, we can do it too. If it worked for Jesus, it will work for us. We can become the beautiful, growing, mature, glorious persons God designed us to be. But here's the catch. God does most of the work. Now, that's hard for us because we like to be in control. We'd rather read a self-help manual and fix ourselves up. But the truth of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is that God does most of the work. The church is here week after week to remind us of that. So what is our part in the ongoing lifelong process of sanctification if God does most of the work? Well, here's our part. We have to desire it. Have you ever noticed how much easier it seems to develop bad habits than healthy ones? Don't raise your hands. 
We have a marked propensity toward stagnation. In order for there to be growth and improvement over the long haul, we have to desire it with all our hearts. We have to admit that we can't do it on our own. We're really not in control. We are powerless to change ourselves in any lasting way. It is necessary to admit our weakness, admit our, mor our mortality, and to admit that we're not God. When we do that, it is an acknowledgement of our need for God's grace to do for us what we just can't do for ourselves. We have to believe that one greater than us can transform us. A life without a partnership with God is an incomplete life, the way we people of faith view it. After we have a burning desire for the abundant life and we realize that we can't make it happen all by ourselves, there's a time when we have to wait for God's help. And the wait may seem interminably long and even painful. It's hard not to give in to the temptation to give up on God before God gets around to us. We can identify with Job in his suffering and waiting. But that's when we need to believe, to have faith, to have confidence, to trust God's pledge to come to those who wait for divine help. And then we have to turn our wills and our lives over to God. I know this sounds like a mindless act, but it really isn't. When you go to a physician, you enter into a therapeutic healing relationship of wills, your will and the physician's will. And there's a certain harmony there. Our wills on their own lead us back to slavery in Egypt, or at least keep us stuck in the wilderness of stagnation. We have to turn our wills and our lives over to God. And that's the way of salvation. If you find yourself resisting, saying, yes, but the situation is this, or the circumstances are that, or you have one excuse or another, I'm glad you're here today. But perhaps you're just not ready. Perhaps you're not ready for that sort of change to happen in your life. You keep coming back week after week, hoping one of these days something will happen. You still live under the delusion that you can handle it, control it, be a self-made person, that you can reach your full potential as a person or as a community of persons, a church, with only a nodding acquaintance with Jesus Christ. And if that's where you are, again, I'm glad you're here. But perhaps you're not yet desperate enough to let that kind of transformation happen in your life. And sometimes it takes desperation to get there. But if you are ready, if you've recognized the voice that tells you you can do it alone is the voice of a liar, then receive today what God has to offer. 
move from slavery to all the idols and self-deceits into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Desire it. Admit that you can't save yourself. Believe that the one who's greater than you can transform you. Turn your life and the life of this church over to him. Believe that the best years are not in the past. They're in the future that God himself is setting before you. That one, Jesus Christ, is here to meet us at his table. Whether our attitude is right or not, he is always here. He always shows up because he pledged to us that he would. He has made a pledge to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. We are marked as Christ's own forever, forever. But when we come desiring, admitting, believing, surrendering, when we're as receptive and trusting as the little children that Jesus took in his arms and blessed, when we receive him in this way, it's the first step on the journey from slavery, slavery to the past, to hurts, to possessions, to disappointments, to the way we've always done it, to the glorious liberty that is the destiny and the inheritance of the children of God. And you just don't want to shortchange yourself. So I invite you in the context of this powerful word from the letter to the Hebrews to ask yourselves every day, who is Jesus Christ and what difference does he make? Now, there are answers to that question in Scripture and in the confessions of the church, but it is imperative that it be answered again and again and again in the heart of each disciple and in each community of disciples from generation to generation in the ongoing pilgrimage of God's people from slavery to freedom. For it, it is in that living, giving relationship that the word again becomes flesh and dwells among the people who live in the mission field beyond those doors. What happens in here is to equip and empower us to be the body of Christ out there. We receive word and sacrament so that we might become word and sacrament out there today and tomorrow. And the good news for the members of St. John's is that God still has a unique mission for you that no other congregation in this community has been called to serve in this particular part of creation. I often ask congregations this question and I'll throw it out to you and you can ponder it this week. So if St. John's turned off the lights and locked the doors and closed up forever, would anybody in this community notice? Would they care? Would it matter? I believe it would cut to the heart of this community. I think your mission is that significant. And God's not through with you yet. We still have a lot to do.
So freely you have received all these wonderful blessings. And so now freely give. God will be glorified in your life. That glory will be reflected in our life together as it was in that first century community of Christians who gathered, worshipped, feasted, and gave with glad and generous hearts. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.